0: with a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily.
2: Hello, happy Friday. It's the end of the week and the very last of our daily Premier League podcasts before we get properly stuck into the weekend's action. Niall and the team will be here tomorrow morning when you wake up with a brand new podcast that previews all the premier league games that are coming up this week and there are loads of good ones double game week in fantasy football this week if you've Got your eye on that as well, by the way. But today on the podcast, I'm joined by Steve McNaughton and Marley Anderson. Hello, gents. Good morning. So the focus is on Europe today, after three Premier League clubs made really hard work of it in the Europa League last night. Arsenal and Manchester United edging through to the last 16, whilst it was checkmate for Leicester City as they tumble out of the competition against the lazy headline writer's dream opposition, Slavia Prague checkmate headlines all over the place. Go and look at the Leicester Mercury today if you're in that neck of the woods. I wondered where you got that. I I guarantee you it will say checkmate because that's what happens every time (laughs) an English team goes out to Czech Republic opposition. So anyway, football-wise, we're going to be talking about the futures of a couple of young English players today on the podcast as well. There's rumors circulating about the future of West Ham's Declan Rice again and Manchester United's Dean Henderson again. So we will get onto that in a little bit after we've done the Europa League games. But before any of that, a podcast review. Now, I asked for these a few weeks ago. I said we hadn't had many in a while and Could you please let us know what you make of the show? Give us your feedback. Went on to the platform that tells us about all the reviews and stuff today. There are loads of them. (laughs) There are loads to get through. So thank you very much if you have contributed. I've picked one at random. We'll try and get through the rest as the weeks go on. So keep leaving your reviews because it's lovely to read what you think. You can do it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify (laughs) or wherever you listen. You can leave your comments. I've picked this one from a guy called BK Heng. Do you recognize that name, Marley? Uh, no. Why? <laughs> I'm not suggesting you should know him. It, but oh, um, Christ, but B- no, he's, he's not having a go at you either for a change. Oh, uh, BK left us a review exactly a year ago today, and he is in Cambodia. He wrote a review a year ago, saying hello and saying thank you for the podcast, and he has listened pretty much every day for an entire year. So, and he's given us another five star review. So, BK Heng, thank you very much for listening. Appreciate your comments. But I've checked the Cambodian podcast charts, which is where he listens. They do exist. And we don't even feature in the Cambodian podcast charts, which means we don't rank in the top 200 football podcasts in that part of the world, which, which doesn't seem massively weird, I know. But it means, BK, you've not told enough of your mates. Get your mates listening. I want to see us at least top 50 by this time next year. But keep your reviews coming. Thank you very much for your contributions there. Let's get on to the football because it was a roller coaster of emotions for Arsenal fans last night watching their game against Benfica. It was a 1-1 draw in the away leg. Last night's game finished 3-2 to Arsenal, so that's 4-3 on aggregate. We don't say this very often nowadays, Marley, but Arsenal, they looked really impressive last night, particularly going forwards, I thought. Uh, Yeah, I mean... They were they were pretty
3: good. I mean, they did it in typical Arsenal fashion, didn't they? You know, they um, they had the game there to win and very nearly and tried the hardest to throw it away um, with the yep. uh, with the goals they conceded. But um, yeah, they they had enough to score three against Benfica, who are obviously, as we know, not a bad side, and they're not doing particularly well in Portugal. I think Sporting are running away with that league, but. Um, Benfica are always going to be a tough, uh, a tough side and difficult to. Uh, they've got the European experience and everything and all the rest of it. They're not, they're no mugs at this level. So um, to see Arsenal fight back and win was uh, a massive boost for them, I think. And with Aubameyang scoring, I think Willian played quite well, um, by all accounts, which is a rare one because he's been not much short of useless since he arrived <laughs> from Chelsea on a three-year deal, <laughs> um, which everyone took the mick out of three-year deal for him and finally has a decent game. Um, I'm not sure yeah, he's made they, up for it Yeah, I don't think that kind of <laughs> redresses
2: yeah. the balance in any
3: way. Long way to go, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, good good win for them because you know, the, the league isn't going so well for them, so it's kind of one of them where you've got to sort of put everything in this Europa League basket because at the end of the day, they've uh, they got to the final last season um, and, you know, they can they can go win it. When you saw the results... Oh, they'll be thinking they would.
2: Yeah, well, when you see the result, Arsenal 3, Benfica 2, 4-3 in aggregate, Steve, you assume that it is the Arsenal of all with the very score loads of goals, concede loads of goals at the back. So they have been shaky historically, defensively, certainly over the last few years. Was it Arsenal-like defending again? Was that the case in this game?
4: I think I don't think there's anything you can do about the free kick, is there? Um, you know, I no, thought it was an peach. absolutely ridiculous free kick from Diogo Goncalves. And um, yes, I think that the Chevalos mistake uh, is unfortunate. Um, but it was different that one of the centre backs didn't make a mistake for the change, isn't it? It was a midfielder. <laughs> um, and, do you know what? And I thought about this when I, when I was watching the highlights of it. I thought. What there's a lot of this stuff is happening in games at the minute, you know, where these types of clangers are happening, um, you know, on a regular basis. I mean, across the Premier League and leagues across Europe. And I thought to myself, usually, if fans are in the ground, all, they're all on your back, aren't they? Warn you of the danger that there's there's something there. And I thought mm. that is something that is missing in the games at the minute. And I think that if if fans are in the ground, that doesn't happen. Uh, I think you know someone gives gives the the Arsenal. Lads Surely a head your up.
2: teammates can do that. I mean, we've all played five-a-side. You get your man on shout, don't you? I
4: mean, well, like, I played five-a-side with you, Jim. I'm not sure, um, <laughs> <laughs> I but uh, I just think, yeah, um, I think to to kind of say it was typical Arsenal defending is a bit is a bit harsh. Um, I thought they were good value last night. Arsenal, like, if, like you know, like we've just said, I thought you know they were really good going forward. Um, nice to see Nicholas Otamendi skinned again, um, you know, for the first <laughs> one. So the move to the Portuguese league has done nothing for his defensive capabilities. Um, and I just thought, yeah, you know, typical left back goal from Kearney, You know, gets it on the outside boot, drills good it in, her. yeah. And um, and Aubameyang, you know, obviously, you know, scored a couple of nice goals as well. So I thought they were good value for it. That I said on the podcast yesterday. I didn't know what type of Arsenal were going to turn up. Uh, Didn't realise the game was 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 it Olympiakos's ground? It was that. Yeah, I think so. It was, weren't it? Yeah, I didn't realise they had to travel for it. Um, So yeah, fair play to Arsenal because Benfica, even though the league form is a little bit indifferent, uh, is not an easy European tie for anyone. And Arsenal have got through to the next round.
2: Aubameyang was on form again. nice finish from him and he had a few decent chances as well so it looks like he might start firing again uh, Saka really impressive as well for Arsenal I thought you forget he's only 19 but I mean we've seemed to say this a lot with Arsenal particularly since Mikel Arteta has come on board there seems to be these little glimpses where you go right they're finally getting their act together now Mikel Arteta's getting grip of that squad and he's putting his uh his, his Mark on it, and they're playing in a certain style, and it all falls away again. So, I mean, it was a good impre- it was a good performance last night. Could it be another? Could it be the result they need to kick on and start improving their league form, or is it going to be yet another full storm, Marley? Uh, only time will
3: tell, I suppose. Um, I thought the they were going to have a great season this season after coming off the back of the FA Cup win um, and mm. things like that. Everything seemed set up for them. You know, they had a um, a summer where they they, they tied down Aubameyang. There wasn't any any uh, contract rumours around him and all the rest of it. They signed the centre back Gabriel um, and Tierney was you know coming into fitness and, and form and everything like that. And it kind of looked like one of them where they would go on and do it. So I'm a bit reluctant to say this is the turning point um, because we've seen him come unstuck so much in the league and they're still struggling down in sort of ninth, tenth. Um, and they've got to, they've just got to find some consistent consistency. Because the only consistency they have found this season is when they were getting beat every week around November December, when they were struggling down in sort of fifteenth sixteenth in, in the table, and people were talking about them potentially fighting relegation the year after they won the FA Cup. So um, mm. the talent's there. I think I think the talent with Arteta's there as well. Definitely, uh, I've got no doubt about him. They just need to sort of string it together. They need to. Um, find something, I think in centre midfield they've struggled all season really to get a, that pivot of their midfield has been chopped and changed a bit and you know affected by Xhaka having one good game and then seven bad games and then Partey coming in and getting injured straight away, um, so they need to find that balance there I think and if they can do that, they've got the talent around them the likes of Saka, uh, Smith Rowe, Martinelli um, Odegaard, all these players can, can unlock teams so they've They've certainly got enough about them to uh, to do something positive in the sort of last 15 games of
2: the season and finish towards the top six. How's it going to go for Arsenal in the Europa League from here, Steve? I know it's a bit of an impossible question to answer. I see it going one of two ways. Either they're going to win it or they're going to draw Granada in the next round and lose 8-1 <laughs> to them or something like that. It, it's, it's either it's like it's like famine or riches for Arsenal usually. Which do you think is the more likely outcome?
4: Famine. All day, uh, I just think there's, I think, I think there's, there's much better teams left in that competition than Arsenal. Unfortunately, now I got a tweet last week saying that I'm biased against Arsenal. I don't think I am. I think I've been complimentary about them enough in the past, but I just don't see them winning the Europa League this season. Um, and I don't, I think them not having European football next season might actually benefit them in trying to get up the table because not having to do that traveling on a Thursday and uh, you know night to play. Um, all over the shop and or, or having Champions League games if they should ever get back in it. Um, I think that focus on the league and, and domestic honors tr- um, next season might actually do them uh, a favor.
2: Let's move on to Manchester United versus Real Sociedad. It finished 0-0 on the night last night, 4-0 on aggregate, so Manchester United threw on that one. In truth, I guess it was quite an easy game because they had the 4-0 cushion to protect themselves. They just needed to not mess it up and they'd go through. But was the game quite as dull as it sounds, Marley? Yes. And that is it. <laughs> <laughs> Should we just move on? <laughs> Did we just leave it there? Yeah,
3: that's it. Sure, it made his little <laughs> European debut and that is
2: about it. Um, yeah, it's just dull. Dull game. There was a chance for Real Sociedad to score early doors. They had the penalty awarded, which the, the guy, I don't know who it was that took the penalty actually, but they, he kind of tried to copy the Bruno Fernandes penalty take with the little stutter in it and ultimately missed. I mean... Even then, even if that had gone in, Steve, it would have been very different to change the story when you're going up against a four-nil lead, wouldn't
4: it? Yeah, I just don't think. So. I think Sausi had when they got a penalty early doors. You're thinking, hold on a minute. If they can get a second goal, you know, ten minutes later or something like that, it makes the tie a bit more entertaining, mm. doesn't it? But I think the just on the penalty. I mean, that's got to be one of the worst we've ever seen. I think that one last night. I think I'm. I'm not a fan of that hop, skip, and a jump yeah. anyway. When when people take penalties, and because Jorginho at Chelsea is is particularly bad for it, isn't he? And um, I just think you know when I think of my team playing and the saves, the penalty saves, Allison's made. Um, I just think they, they tend to come off that kind of stutter or the hop or whatever because it just gives the keeper a, a, a split second to to get set and, and and make his move for it. But I think you know that one uh, deserves to be kind of you know banished to the. I don't know the realms of hell or something like that. It was an absolutely appalling penalty, and I hope his teammates absolutely skull dragged him round that change room at half time for it. Um, I just think in terms of in terms of the game, yeah, United had no issues last night. I said on the podcast yesterday. I thought they'd rotate a bit. I didn't think I didn't expect them to be as strong as that last night in terms of the lineup that all put out. Um, biggest talking point for me was the Lindelof foul. How that was not a red card, I will never know. The first leg
2: was in Turin, which obviously is a bit of a disadvantage to Sociedad there. And we've seen, as we've mentioned already, we've seen game plays in Budapest. We saw Arsenal playing in Olympiakos's stadium last night. Um, the Budapest games have been in the Champions League. That Does this lack of home advantage that some of the clubs have experienced and the fact that these games have been played away from home and all over Europe, does it damage the status of this competition? We talk about the integrity of the league in the Premier League just being impacted by the fact that fans have been at some games and not at other games. Surely moving these games around Europe for the European competition is going to damage the status of the competition. Whoever wins it potentially it has got that asterisk against it again, Marley.
3: Yeah, maybe, um, but it's just a, a product of the environment we're in, I think, you know, you've either, you either move to another country and play the game or you, you forfeit the your place in the competition, so people are only ever going to choose, let's go and play, you know, a home game in Greece like Arsenal did last night, um, mm. but yeah, I mean, the teams that go out having not had a game at home like Sociedad last night will probably, they do have a genuine gripe about the situation they do have a point I think um but it just is what it is you know you can't we, we can't be perfect in these times it's either play or don't play so if you want to if you want to just not take your chances in not playing a game um you know if you want to just say well oh well, well we're not playing because we're not at home like you're, you're never going to do that you're always going to take your chance in beating a team on a neutral venue which you've got to do when you get to the final anyway so you know beating a team not in front of no fans on your own pitch I don't think it's that that big a deal in the grand scheme of things I think it only becomes a bit of a a bit more of an issue when um, when you lose the game because then you've got a ready made excuse ready to go for
2: yourself Obviously, you've already mentioned Charles tieri I, like, oh, I forget how we're pronouncing it. We've talked about this every time and talked about the pronunciation. And I think I get it wrong every time. Schorre-Tieri. So, Sch- he became, became the youngest player to appear for Manchester United in a European game. 17 years and 23 days old. Whose record did he take?
4: At Man United or in general?
2: At Manchester United. So, the youngest Manchester United player to play in a European fixture? Wayne Rooney. It is not Wayne Rooney. I'll give you some thinking time. I'll tell you exactly who it was next on Football Social Daily.
0: Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport
2: Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Have you had some time to think? Have you managed to work out who Shola Shottieri's record, who's Hang on, let me get my sentence right (laughs) here. He was the youngest player. Who was the previous youngest player? That's what I'm trying to say to play for Manchester United. It's not Wayne Rooney. Any second guesses? Rashford? Uh, Giggs? Way too recent. Oh, Norman Whiteside. Bingo. Well done, Steve. Norman Whiteside, 1982, another goalless draw versus Valencia. Norman Whiteside played in the Europa League? No, European competition. (laughs) (laughs) Not the Europa League.
3: You can just see Norman, Norman Whiteside moaning about going to you on a Thursday night.
2: <laughs> he got his record against Valencia anyway. So one more game to cover off in the Europa League. And it was a game that no doubt West Ham's ownership would have been watching to identify their next summer transfer target. It was Leicester 0, Slavia Prague 2, Leicester crashing out of the competition. They are out of the Europa League, Steve. Is there any shame in this defeat? Is it proof that maybe the Foxes aren't quite part of that top four, top five European elite
4: yet? I think there is a bit of shame in that result last night, if I'm honest. I think that even though Slavia Praha, are, um, if we're going to say it properly, um, are a side with Champions League pedigree, um, the Premier League is a much stronger league than the Czech League, as I, I would expect a team that is, you know, is third in the Premier League to be able to handle the Czech champions on home soil. Um, with the players that that uh, Leicester have and I know they rotated last night and a couple of the lads were on the bench and stuff like that but I said on the podcast that I thought it'd be quite yesterday that I thought it'd be quite routine for Leicester at home after a nil-nil away. Um to see them go down two nil is, is is not good. I, I think that and the first thought that came into my head after it is how are we seeing the you know perennial Brendan Rogers team's end of season burnout where they start fading away. Mm. Um because I, I, I would have you know, if I would have thought on I would I would have put a bet on Leicester last night, you know, to win that. Um maybe not massively comfortably, but I thought they would have had enough to go through. And they'll be disappointed with that because they'll have fancied a run in that competition and maybe a glamour fixture against one of the you know the big boys of Europe or something like that. But yeah, back to the drawing board for them. Um I think Leicester have just got to kinda of try and cling on to that top four position, haven't they? Um and I just think that, you know, if they, if they lose a couple of Premier League games now, you know, we, we could see Leicester finish something like six or seven.
2: Is the truth of it, Marley, that Leicester City just don't have the depth to fight on all these fronts? Because they're still chasing a decent Premier League position. They're still in the FA Cup and they haven't got the same size squad as the traditional European contenders. So James Madison was injured last night. Harvey Barnes played an hour or didn't play an hour on the bench only came on for the last half an hour to chase the game and there just isn't the depth there of quality to compete in these various games and various competitions uh yeah you're probably
3: right i think they do have have depth but it's not as deep it's not as quality ridden as some of the other teams you know obviously your man cities your your um your top top sides like that your liverpools and all that kind of thing but um, I think they, they did have enough to beat Slavia Prague last night and it'll be disappointing that they didn't because they did go for it, Vardy played, you know, it wasn't a weak team, it wasn't a completely second string team so they'll be disappointed to not win it but it's that old cliche of focusing on the league and I think if any if anyone of the English teams left in the competition last night needed to focus on the league rather than two things, I think it was Leicester because um, we've seen how they dropped away last year uh, when they were you know they could have could have finished in the top 4 um and got a lot closer to liverpool last season probably finished second if they uh, if they'd carried on um but after christmas they had a massive uh, slump um and towards sort of i think it was like was it like march april time they were really poor they lost a lot of points on the road um and all, all kinds of places they lost they're losing at home they could barely win a game so they're probably thinking Last night, well, there's less chance of that happening now because we are out. We don't have to travel on a Thursday night to random places um, in a competition that it was always going to be hard to to win anyway with the, uh, the calibre
2: of teams left in it. Do you think he called it right then, Brendan Rodgers? Because he did say after the game, he said that his priority was the league and the FA Cup, so they kind of had to rest certain players in the Europa League last night. If you were a Leicester City fan, would that be all right with you? Would you be happy with that decision? Uh, yeah, I think I would, yeah. Um, they're still in the FA Cup,
3: obviously, as you say. Um, they're still... You know, Leicester aren't going to get... Leicester aren't going to finish this season, possibly in the Champions League, having got to the FA Cup, let's say, semi-finals and say, we should have done more that season, we should have won the Europa League, because that's that's just a bit, um, a bit greedy, to be honest. I think you've got to take... You can't go and win everything straight away just because you're on paper a good enough team. And Leicester, Leicester can beat anyone on, on the day. And they are a bit of an unknown quantity in the uh, Europa League in terms of European teams looking at them, not quite estimating how good they are. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, if they, as long as they finish top four, it's it's an amazing season for them because that's the, the blueprint at Leicester, I think. And that's what Rodgers wants to do every season. And then you get so much more money in, you can attract better players. It's all a snowball effect from then on. So mm-hmm. um it'll I don't think it'll really weigh on their minds that they got beat at home by Slavia Prague, who we you know, I know they're not the Czech um, the Czech league isn't exactly the best, but they are twenty games unbeaten at the top of it. So I think they, they haven't lost in the league all season. They came through a group with Leverkusen and Nice in it as well. So they're not they're not bad teams. They beat Leverkusen in one of those games as well. Um, and we know that they're no, they're no mugs, really. And they've produced players, as you know, like Thomas Suchek um, and Kufal, I think, as well. Mm. Um, and then the best thing about last night was when they FaceTimed him after the game. And Thomas Suchek sat there in his London flat with his uh, Slavia Prague t-shirt on, cheering on his old
2: teammates. <laughs> I did see that. I really liked it. And I, I did joke that West Ham were probably scouting Slavia Prague last night and watching that game. But genuinely, there is interest to bring in more players from that team. And I thought they were really good last night. I thought Leicester City had a few decent early chances, never really looked like scoring. But then Prague, or Praha, if you want to say it that way, Steve, <laughs> looked like they dominated. Was there anyone in particular that impressed you from that Czech team, Steve?
4: I thought Seymour up top was looked really good. Um, I thought he took his goal really well. I mean, the first goal... Uh, I think it was um, Provov wasn't it Luka Provov that, that scored it um, nice nice volley uh, you know the back stick there um, but the, the, the lad Seema looked a real handful and, and that finish for the second goal was, was pretty exquisite so I'd expect him to uh, be pictured with David Moyes at some point in July with the uh, brand-new West Ham home shirt on display. <laughs> I'd be very happy with that. Doing, the old, 19, that doing as well. the old irons uh, thing where they cross around <laughs> over the chest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, followed West, I've followed West Ham since I was 11 years old. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Ever since I first blew a bubble at four years old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy with all of that. I don't know what year, why you haven't taken the mick. I'd be well, well on board with all that happening. Um, the round draw for the next round happens today, it happens at midday UK time so chances are if you're listening to this podcast it has already happened three Premier League sides in it there's no seeding, there's no country restrictions now, Arsenal through, obviously Spurs are through, Manchester United, the teams they can face, Ajax Dynamo Zagreb, Dynamo Kiev Granada, Molder Olympiakos, Rangers, Roma, Satshak Dardanesk, Slavia Prague and Villarreal are the potential opposition. Who would you pick from that little lot, Marley? If you were one of the Premier League teams, who would you want to be facing? You don't want to face each other, so we can rule that out. I mean, no one <laughs> wants Arsenal versus Spurs in the next round, do they? No. Um, I don't
3: know, to be honest. Anyone that's from the smaller nations, like like Mulder, for example, and Mulder did do really well, Um last night i think they beat um hoffenheim hoff yeah hoffenheim wow. that's not a bad team at all but they they score loads of goals mold but they the defending's not the best um so i think when you put them up against a premier league team with a, with an improved defence you would assume um would would not have too much issues against them so uh, out of
2: out of the lot of them i'd probably pick them Oh, young Boys is the team I missed off that list as well which is always good for a laugh isn't it like you could have when when Spurs play Young Boys and you get Jose Mourinho outwits Young Boys and things like that it's always <laughs> funny for a bit of a laugh who would you go through? do you know, go for... go do you know where
3: they play the games as well Young Boys yeah they play at the Wankdorf Stadium <laughs> I'm not kidding <laughs> you can actually look at that and it's the best thing is it says um, it says wanked off on the seats and when there's no fans <laughs> in, a certain camera angles it just says <laughs> massively because <laughs> you know when it cuts off half the stadium when they're in like one half it's oh, it's, it's just it's a headline
2: writers uh, dream. Bit of blue for the dads. Bit of blue for the dads. So, Steve,
4: who are you going for? Steve, do you fancy young boys or...? (laughs) Uh, Jesus, where where do we go from here? Uh, uh, No. Uh, It's an emphatic no on that. Um, I think that uh, if, if, you know, United are bound to get an easy draw, um, you know, it goes without saying. Um, If you look at kind of the penalties and the VAR decisions this season, everything's going for them. So, uh, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. Um... (laughs) I think you know United will fancy the chances against the likes of Ajax, um, Granada, you know Dynamo Kiev, Zagreb. Um, I think I think everyone will will potentially not want to play Rangers at the minute. Um, Rangers don't know what it's like to lose football matches, and they are scoring an absolute bag of goals at the minute. So I think that'll be a tasty tie whoever gets them. I think United v Rangers would be quite good, mm-hmm. um, and I expect Tottenham to go out to the weakest team in the tournament. Um, you know, probably <laughs> probably Moulder. Um, you know, an Arsenal. I, I've just got a feeling for Arsenal. Ajax. That that seems like a, a European tie, doesn't it? Um, mm. But I think that um, I, I think I, I fancy United for the whole thing this season. Uh, are AC Milan not in it? Or they went, or did I miss them from my list? Another team. Got AC Milan. Was still in it. Yeah, they went through last night. Oh, did
2: yeah. he scrape through? Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So. Um, yeah, I think I fancy United for it. If I'm honest, I think you know out of the teams that that are left in the competition. Um, I think that uh, they are probably the strongest team left in it even with Milan, AC Milan in it um, so I think it's United to, to, to win if the draw is kind enough to them
2: We're going to talk about a Manchester United player next we're going to talk about Dean Henderson whose future has been questioned in newspapers over the last couple of days we'll get on to that next on Football Social Daily
0: Football Social Daily Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk the latest premier league news for your team just ask open sport social
2: welcome back to football social daily we're going to wrap up today's podcast by looking at a few of the stories that have been in the papers over the last couple of days we're going to talk about declan rice's future with west ham we're going to talk about a new striker for liverpool but we're going to kick off with dean henderson whose future at manchester united has been questioned over the last couple of days sources, and I'm always a bit suspicious when papers quote sources, are claiming that Dean Henderson is not happy with the game time he is getting in a Manchester United shirt obviously featured in the Europa League last night he wants to be Manchester United's number one and if he doesn't get that promise for next season, he wants to leave the club. If you're Manchester United Marley, how do you play this? Because they have got a number one, they've got David De Gea he's been linked with moves away for a long time, but do you go, thanks David, you move him off to dunno, Real Madrid or wherever he's going to go and then you usher through this new generation because we have seen Dean Henderson's capabilities, we have seen his potential, we know he's a great keeper, so he's too valuable for Manchester United to lose
3: Yeah, he is um, it's a tough situation because obviously you, you can't play two goalkeepers and you, it's impossible to keep two goalkeepers happy um, well, pretty much anyway, because you know, the the ones with ambition are wanna you know, they wanna play N- none of them are a Sergio Romero who's happy to sit on the bench and, you know, pick up his paycheck and play mm. in the Carabao Cup against, you know, Wickham and Stapp had his career by getting a clean sheet against Adebayo Akinfenwa. Um so <laughs> you know, it's it's tough because I think I think De Gea's not not at his best anymore, clearly. Um and I think he's not likely to get back to that best. I think we've probably seen the best of him um, probably two or three years ago. Um, so maybe I know it's like it's going to be a tough decision, obviously, because he's been, you know, he's been captain. He's been the main man for coming up like seven, eight years now. So it's hard to then say, OK, we're going to go in a completely different direction. But when the guy's on 300 and some at grand a week and you're paying Dean Henderson 100 grand a week as well, I think Romero's, mm. is Romero still at the club? He's on 60, 70 grand a week or something as well. Didn't
2: they let him go in the end? I'm sure, he, didn't he go back to Argentina? Has
3: he gone now? I can't remember. It's, we'll have a quick Google. Talk amongst yourselves if you're <laughs> listening at home. While we look Did he leave? Yeah, anyway. He's still, at,
4: he's still at United.
3: Yeah, he's still there. Oh, right. right, There you go. So at, at the minute, Man United are spending half a million pound on goalkeepers wages per week. That's a joke. Like oh, wow. That is an absolute joke. So Where
4: does Lee Grant fit into all this? Lee
3: Grant holds <laughs> up the uh, the fourth official's uh, subs board when Juan Mata comes on for five minutes at the end of a game. I
2: remember when, um, when Rob Green went to Chelsea, uh, the very fast last season in his career. Do you remember he went out over there at the third? Yeah. The th- he was like their third keeper. He was asked what his role was at Chelsea and he said drinking tea on match days. <laughs> that was kind of, that's how he saw his role was basically sitting in, in the stand, drinking brews and watching the other guys play. Uh, is Dean Henderson... It's the same with Scott Carson at Man City yeah, as well. Yeah, but, well, kind of, it's a coach role, isn't it, ultimately, for these players. They're there yeah. they to bring through yeah. the youngsters. I mean, Dean Henderson, is he good enough for Manchester United and in that number one jersey? Because we know he's a great shot stopper. We saw his impact at Sheffield United last season. There are question marks over his distribution. And we've talked about why he isn't England number one before and the fact that the likes of Jordan Pickford are much better with their feet than Dean Henderson. For the top clubs, for your Manchester Cities and your Liverpool's, and I imagine Manchester United have this aspiration as well, they need a goalkeeper who is good with their feet to play the style of football they want to play, to have that distribution. So has Dean Henderson got that potential? Is that what's holding him back? Is he ultimately going to be a very good keeper at a middle a mid-table team because of that lack of quality in that part of his game, Steve?
4: I think that um, Dean Henderson will be a, a fantastic number one for anyone. Yeah. Um... I think that there's a serious keeper in there. Do I think that he made the right decision by you know signing a, a five-year deal at United or whatever it was um, last summer? Um, I don't know the situation about how it was sold to him, whether he was told that there was a realistic chance of displacing David De Gea. Um, but to be limited to 12 appearances this season, when there's the Euros coming up in summer as well, it's very, very difficult for him to get in the England team or squad when he's not playing enough games. And I think that will be on his mind because I think quietly, I mean, I certainly think he's a better keeper than Jordan Pickford. Um, I think Pickford has just got by with that distribution because he's, he's very, very good with his feet. Um, but I just think for me, it is the right time for him to say to Wally, what's going on here? Because um, David De Gea is still a relatively young goalkeeper. You know, In terms of goalkeeping years, he's not he's not that old. Um, but Dean Henderson's what, 23, 24, something like that? Um, so he'll be thinking, you know, I want to get settled in. I want to establish myself as a number one. He'll want to do it at Man United. It's a massive football club to do it at. And I think the problem United have got, if you asked all what, if he had to force all hand in summer, I think he probably would pick Henderson. And um, the problem they've got is David De Gea is on such big wages, no one's going to want to take that wages on because all the top top clubs have a goalkeeper. Um, you know, maybe PSG could, could probably do it, but. There's incomings there that are going to bump that wage bill up. Um, I just think that you know Real Madrid have got a goalkeeper, Barcelona have got a goalkeeper, um, you know Juventus have got a goalkeeper, uh, Inter Milan have got a goalkeeper. You know, so it's, there's not a lot of clubs that David de Gea could go to really. Um, so it, it, I think it's just circumstantial why it's happened. I think did United plan for it to happen this way? They probably didn't. It's just arrived at the time that it's arrived and um, it's a very, very tough decision because both of them are too good to sit on the bench every week.
2: Let's talk about the future of another young English player in Declan Rice, a player who has been linked with many moves away from West Ham over the last 12 months. Apparently Manchester United are the latest club to show interest. They've put a bid together which has been described as insulting, which involves uh, Jesse Lingard, Nemanja Matic... Phil Jones, and maybe a bit of cash as well. I mean, there's a whole load of players leaving Manchester United for that, all at a certain stage of their career and all not necessarily what you call first-team choices at Old Trafford. Is it the kind of deal that maybe West Ham should be looking at Marley? Because they're rating Declan Rice at kind of this 70 million price tag. And ultimately, I mean, you'd probably argue that all three of those players that have been mentioned, providing Phil Jones can stay fit, would probably be... Marginal improvements on the personnel they do have in East London at the moment.
3: Uh, maybe um, I think this is the football equivalent of.
2: I'm not sure I even believe that statement. By the way,
3: no, I look at that. Anyway. it's a hopeful maybe. Um, but yeah, I think um, this is a football equivalent of Man United scraping round. You know, like put digging the hand down the back of the sofa and seeing what they can find um and they mm-hmm. found a Phil Jones and thought oh we'll, we'll chuck him into the deal see if that sweetens them up a bit and that probably knocks 5 million off his uh off the transfer fee that you've then got to pay for for Declan Rice but the Lingard thing makes sense um if everyone's willing you know you're probably looking at twenty twenty million 20 million for Lingard maybe um so if that brings his value down to 50 then you're looking at Jones and Matic i mean Matic is completely immobile and uh old. I know he used to be a good player but still. Like he can still play and turn up a decent performance. Like he was good at the weekend for example. Um but he's he's got nothing in front of him, has he, Matic anymore? So that's a bit of a um
2: a no deal. Uh with I know I get shout shouted down by a lot of Manchester United players, but I'd argue that Matic is no real improvement on Mark Noble. <laughs> I just don't I don't see much difference. I mean I think Matic has probably got a little bit more quality but like you say both Quite immobile, both at similar stages of their career. I just don't, I don't see why you'd entertain the thought of having it, of bringing him in at the stages that.
3: Well, I'll put it this way: if you played Matic and Mark Noble in uh, a midfield pivot, you are knackered because <laughs> as long as the other midfielder, as long as the other midfielder has somebody blessed with the ability of running, you're uh, you're pretty much knackered. Um, but yeah, I mean. The deal there is, uh, there's probably a deal there to be done. I think Rice is probably not going to go to Chelsea now. Uh, now the new managers came in, um, but if West Ham can cling on to that top four spot, they're in no position to sell because then they've got, hmm. you know, um, something to to keep Declan Rice at the club at uh, club for. So then, after next season, when you know West Ham go out in the group stage and don't qualify for Europe again, then they can look at selling him, um, and then you can look at who wants to buy him at that point. But this summer, um, I think after this season, I don't think it's the time to
2: sell Rice because you're not really in need of of, uh, of selling him. You want to see him perform at the Euros as well because that could have a huge yeah, impact on his potential value. Let's talk about your club, Steve, to wrap this up because we have to. Well, there's there's a story in the Liverpool Echo, which is obviously Liverpool's local newspaper today, which seems a little bit thin on detail. But the general gist of it is, Liverpool want a new striker. That's kind of the end of it. They are not necessarily being linked with players, but they want a new striker. I'm interested to see who you think that might be, because you're not a team that it seems particularly keen to splash the cash at the moment. There has been investment in a few forward players over the last couple of years and nothing's really come off, nothing to the extent that it can displace the front three of Solar and Firmino and, and Mane. So are they looking to replace one of those players? Is it back up? And then who would you like to see come in, in terms of realistic transfers to join that Liverpool set-up and actually make the team better? Because I think that's the key part. Because I think the players that have come in, your Minamino's and your Diego Jotas, they're not there to make the team better. They're there to act as as backup and kind of add, add depth to the squad.
4: I think, first and foremost, I'm I'm not sure on the Jotta Um, comment then mate, I think Jota was bought with a view to starting games I think the the problem we've got, and I know I'm closer to it than you so these things happen but I think the the problem is with, um, we've got some real problems at Liverpool um, because the Roberto Firmino for all the success he's had and all the honours he's won at Liverpool and the service that he's put in he's fell off a cliff this season um, there's there's no doubt about it and we've seen these odd glimpses of absolute quality like the assist for Salah at Leicester a few weeks back was just out of this world and, and he's got that but he's not delivering it and he's not really contributing to the goals and um, there's a question mark over him and I think the OGO Jota puts him under threat and he has started Jota ahead of him in games as well before Jota got his knee injury um, so I think Liverpool will, will have to Um, almost titivate that squad, if you like, in summer because the squad that they have has ran its course now. Um, They have had three, four mega seasons out of that squad. Jürgen's not really rotated a lot and some of them players have have, have reached the, the point where they will leave the club. And I think one of the problems Liverpool have had this season Uh, regardless of the horrific injuries. I mean, Jordan Henderson's had an operation and out till April now. Mm. Um, Obviously, we don't know when Alisson's going to play again after he he lost his father yesterday, uh, which is horrendous. Um, And I think that the problem Liverpool have had this season is that they've not been able to cope with the injuries uh, that have happened because the squad isn't good enough. So when your option is Divock Origi to come off the bench, he's come off the bench numerous occasions and done absolutely Nothing. I was going to swear that. I was going to say. It. You can imagine what I was going to say. Then um, he's done would you nothing. Rather, would
2: you have rather kept Ryan Brewster because he's obviously gone no. to Sheffield United and done very little?
4: No, I think I think that the step the step up into that Liverpool first team is really difficult. I think Liverpool will buy a striker in, in summer, um, but I think who I think Liverpool will sign Patson Daka as the striker in summer. Um, he fits the profile. He's a typical Jurgen Klopp signing. Uh, he plays for Red Bull Salzburg at the minute, and we've got obviously got a really good relationship with that club because we've bought a few players from there over the years. And he's a um, he's a Zambian international uh, striker. Um, just to kind of give you a bit of context on the season he's having: uh, sixteen goals in fourteen appearances uh, for him. He's he's a proper. He scored two against us in pre season. Um, and that's not even you know including his assists he's got like seven assists as well mm. so he's 22 years years of age they'll get him in for 20 million-ish that's a Liverpool signing you know, when you're seeing Alexa Harland and, and Mbappe linked with Liverpool that's not going to happen Liverpool will buy shrewd signings like that uh, because there isn't a massive amount of money there Liverpool are a club that I've said many times on the podcast they don't go into debt to buy players. It's a very kind of like, you know, frugal model. It's like, you know, you spend what you make. And I think I do think Liverpool will have an interest in summer. I don't think a striker will be the only uh, incoming. I think there'll be four or five even six incomings at Liverpool in summer. Um but I think a lot of, uh, a lot of deadwood will, will need to be sold to generate funds to have a bumper summer at Liverpool. I was going to um, say, do
2: you see many players being offloaded because it's loads. one thing getting it's 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 one thing getting rid of your deadwood, but you're never going to achieve high ticket prices for your Deadwood because they haven't performed that's why they're Deadwood so can you see them maybe getting rid of one of the one of the superstars Mane or Salah I mean Thiago's probably going to leave because he's not really fitted the the system at Liverpool do you think
4: well I I don't think Thiago's going to leave at the end of the season. I think that... Um, I don't Do not think, you think we... he'll
2: get another chance? Because he hasn't worked, has he? Marley was talking about this the other day. He's just not worked in that Liverpool team.
4: Well, he's not, but he's gone into a team that is absolutely ravaged with injury, um, that's been patched up on a weekly basis. Um, so he can't impose himself properly because he's not got a settled midfield next to him. Um, and uh, you know the, the, the guy is a serious baller he's had a difficult time at Liverpool there's no doubt about it but let's not forget he was injured for three months as well after that tackle from Richarlison in the derby mm. in in October so it's been very difficult for him because you know like I've just said they're getting patched up every week Liverpool to send a team out I mean you don't know who's going to start in that midfield or, or defence every single week for every single game for Liverpool at the minute that is not easy to come into when you've been in such a settled Bayern Munich team for a number of years Thiago will be fine um, but it'll be next next season that we see any real progress out of him when he has got the Wijnaldum replacement next to him when Fabinho's back in there and when Henderson is fit again um, I think we'll, we'll see the quality that Thiago has got and Yes, it has been disappointing with him. There's no no denying that. Um, But we bought him for relatively low money. We mean, he only cost 25 million quid. I think we're buying five million a season for the next five years. Um, Very low risk. And I just think that there's no way a footballer of his calibre cannot pull up any trees at Liverpool. But in terms of the Deadwood, um, I think they've got to be quite aggressive with shifting the Deadwood gym. And I think that some of the lads that we repeatedly send on loans season after season, you've got to take whatever someone offers for it. And I'm talking about the likes of Marco Gruic, um, you know OJ, who's at Harry Wilson's, another one, Marley, um, and I think that yeah,
3: they wanted. They, I think Newcastle were, were looked at buying him last season, and
4: Liverpool wanted 25. Yeah, million they're not from... going to get that. They're not going to get so that. that. But just, it backs it backs up what you're saying, like yeah, yeah. I just think that if Newcastle come in in summer and said to Liverpool, it's 12 million plus three million quid worth of add-ons, that would probably get the deal done. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think he's a good footballer, Harry Wilson, I just don't think he's at the Liverpool, Liverpool to start for Liverpool every week. But I'm talking about Divock Origi, uh, Takumi Minamino, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Oxl- zerdan Shaqiri, uh, Gruwich. I've just mentioned OJ, the lad who's in the Bundesliga, um, what's his name, it, it's not... Um, can't Doesn't narrow down that much, do yeah, Steve. Um, <laughs> we, we've got, a, we've got a, a Nigerian lad out on, on loan in the Bundesliga. Um, and I just think that uh, I expect you know maybe James Milner might retire at the end of the season because he's mm. what 36. Um and I think that you know you've got what seven, eight, nine names there off the top of our head that even with relatively low figures, you could probably still generate somewhere between seventeen and ninety million for that lot. Mm. And um and I think that's got to be reinvested in it, and I think that the match day revenue coming back in at Liverpool will be will be crucial because they've I think they're down five million per match day. You know that doesn't happen at Anfield, and they've got Champions mm. League, um, Premier League. So I think they'll go out on the strength of, you know, they have got that match day revenue coming in and, and the match day revenue to forecast and all the trimmings that come with that, and probably sign a few players. But they will need to sell to have a bumper window. Excellent insight, Steve. Thank you very much.
2: Uh, we'll do a full preview of all the Premier League games on tomorrow's podcast. Make sure you've clicked subscribe so you don't miss that one. And check out our brand new Sports Social Podcast Network as well. It launched on Wednesday and it is a home for all sport podcasts. Loads of great podcasts covering loads of great sports. You can find your next favourite show at sport-social.co.uk And if you are a podcaster, if you make your own sport podcast and you fancy joining the team, saving money on hosting fees and helping make money from your podcast then get in touch you can do that on the website as well sports-social.co.uk Steve Marley thanks for your time today boys cheers guys cheers boys and we'll see you next time for another Football Social Daily
0: Football Social Daily from Sports Social find us on Facebook search Sports Social
1: Okay, round 2 name something that's not boring